Welcome to this episode of Inside Publishing, the series where we interview industry experts on everything publishing. In this episode, SYP Scotland are speaking to Anne Glennie, the founder and director of Scottish children's publisher Cranachan. Welcome to the SYP podcast, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, no problem. And no problem at all. Um, so I was just wondering to begin with, if um, you could just tell us a little bit more about Cranachan and its place in the Scottish publishing industry. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, we are a small indie publisher um, in Scotland. We started in 2016. So we're still really, um, you know, I consider us still a, a relative relative newcomer uh, to the Scottish publishing scene. We publish um, middle grade and YA fiction, uh, all with really a, a Scottish flavour. Um, we have our Pokey Hat imprint, that's for 8 to 12, uh, which also has a strong focus on historical fiction. And then we have our Gobstopper imprint, which is for teens. Uh, and that has a real mix of titles, everything from contemporary fiction to historical to mythic fantasy uh, as well. So we're in our seventh year, just now this is our seventh year publishing. Uh, we've been having quite a good year. Um, we won Small Press of the Year at the British Book Awards for Scotland. And one of our children's titles, uh, The Chessmen Thief by Barbara Henderson, um, just won for 2022, the Young Quills Award, and that's the Historical Associations Award for the best historical fiction for children. Amazing. So yeah, it's been a it's been a good year so far. <laughs> That's brilliant. It's it's difficult to to believe that you only started in twenty sixteen because it feels like Cranachan is so kind of embedded in in kind of Scottish publishing. So I, I actually thought it would have been around for a lot longer than that, to be honest. Oh well, that, that's lovely to hear. <laughs> People have that impression. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And um, so one of the things that we wanted to talk a little bit about is, um, you know, we've, we've noticed in the last few years, there's been more discussions about, you know, greater diversity and inclusion in publishing generally, and, you know, specifically in, in terms of children's books. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about why you think it's quite important that children's literature is representative? Well, it's got to be representative, particularly for children. They have to see themselves in your books, they have to feel seen. You want them to be able to identify with what they're reading. Also, if you can identify mm -hmm. with what you're reading, it will have a bigger impact on you. It will resonate with you. Um, for example, one of our titles, Charlie's Promise, um, the protagonist, people wouldn't know, it's never named, but the protagonist has an issue with his foot. And it's actually clubfoot. And <laughs> it was one of the reasons that I took the book on because I was born with a clubfoot. My son was born with both feet, um, at club feet. And it's, you know, part of the character's journey. It's not a, a big issue, but it is there. Um, and that, you know, even as a publisher, that made me, you know, the, the book resonated with me more because of that. And it, it's a similar sort of thing. You want children to be able to read 
and for the stories you're telling to resonate with them on a deep level and that's why it's so crucial that everyone is represented so everyone can see themselves um, at some point in what they're reading mm-hmm. yeah that, that's so true the other go ahead <laughs> I was just going to say the other angle the, the other angle well of, of course is you're putting yourself in someone else's shoes mm-hmm. you're living their perspective so it's hugely important, especially as children are growing and learning, that they're developing their empathy for others, their understanding for situations that are different to their own. So, you know, not just increasing their, their tolerance, but their actual compassion for others and how other people live and different circumstances and so on. So it's, you know, twofold in that circumstance mm-hmm. for you personally, but for you um, taking your place in the world as a whole as well and being part of that whole. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something we've noticed when we've been kind of looking at, at Kranakan books as well is that they're, you know, both your children's and, and YA books are, are, you know, include up underrepresented characters like, um, you know, in Sunny and Me and in The Race. Um, and so we're just interested in, in you know, what, what encouraged you to publish those books, maybe particularly you can talk about those ones and, and others that you've done. And, and what sort of impact do you hope they might have on, on younger readers? I know you've already talked about that a little bit, but um, yeah. Well, um, we've we've got lots of books that have underrepresented characters. Um, Sunny and Me uh, is written by Ross Sayers. It's his second book. Mm. So it was a no-brainer for us to take on Sunny and Me because Ross's first book, uh, Mary's the Name, it was shortlisted at the Saltair Book Awards for um, first book, uh, you know, the first book that you've ever written. So that was huge uh, for us Mm. and obviously for Ross himself. So Sunny and Me, you know, I, I knew I wanted to take the book on immediately. Ross has a way of capturing, I don't know, Scottish contemporary life, mm-hmm. um, including the use of Scots dialogue in a way that strikes me as just so, it, it resonates with me, there's that word again, it resonates with me. It just, he captures that experience, the what we might call the banter or the humour that using Scots can bring. Uh, you know, in just that daily life. And I really hope that Sunny and Me, yes, it, it touches very gently on issues and underrepresented characters. But one of the reasons I took it on was that I wanted boys in that age range to be reading books like that. Mm-hmm. And I think a book like Sunny and Me is something that could really be a gateway to reading, perhaps for those that are non-readers, yeah. because firstly, it's funny, mm-hmm. it's accessible, it's written in language that they would use every day um but here we have it you know in this literary context so uh, you know it, it was a no-brainer to take the book on um you know it's also a page turner because it's a, a mystery and a crime and a, a whodunit as well so it really had um everything going for it mm-hmm. um the race it was a similar sort of process um it's by roy peachy so roy is a new author for us but the book, when I read it again instantly, it's a book that works on so many layers. Firstly, it's a dual narrative, but it's a dual narrative that has a real symmetry to it. So we have Lily, who's British Chinese in present day. She's um, 13 years old. She's preparing for uh, it's billed as the race of her life. But meanwhile, we have um, uh, Eric Liddell, obviously, who's Scottish uh, and that Olympic hero. He's um, in the middle of World War II in 1944 in China uh, and he's preparing for the last 
race of his life and it's a period of his life that you know everybody knows about the olympics but nobody knows really about what happened to him after that so there's a lovely um symmetry uh, in in terms of lily being you know british chinese eric little being in china they're both preparing for very important races in their lives but they both have big a big moral dilemma um to undertake and to make a decision on and it's a book that has real integrity um so again thinking about our younger readers yes i want them to learn about um eric liddell because he's an important scottish figure but really the morality of the book it, it, it discusses things about how you make decisions about what's important to you how can you make these big decisions in your life and what is the right decision you know and the, the decisions each character makes ultimately may not have been the decision that you might have made mm -hmm. but it opens up um that space for discussion and a lot of our books um are mainly aimed um towards the classroom towards teachers as well mm -hmm. so this sort of book the race is perfect for that because it's multi-layered because it opens up that space for discussion uh, on these things as well mm -hmm. yeah I, that, that's so true and i thought it was really interesting what you were saying about language as well because particularly in scotland language is such a, a big part of of um identity and you know representing scots in in literature you know it is just so important um, is that something that you're conscious of when when sort of commissioning books um is is trying to include you know writers who write in scots as well Oh, absolutely, definitely. It's something that's part of my life. I grew up um, in a household where, uh, you know, my dad spoke Scots, my my gran spoke Scots. Um, it's it's part of my identity. Mm -hmm. um, so when you see it written down, it's really I don't know affirming. <laughs> yeah. But when you see that it's it, it it's it's valid in that way, but I don't know. It, again, it resonates more deeply. I I think. And I think, um, you know, sometimes we've discussed, you know, doing a translation, uh, for example, of something like Daisy on the Outer Line yeah. by Ross Sayers. Yeah. Now, it's written, you know, 70% of that is written in Scots, um, you know, and doesn't need to be more accessible. But I think that you would lose a lot of the humour mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> in a translation. It just, it just wouldn't go over, you know, if it, if it wasn't in Scots, I think, a lot of the time. So there's something very unique and something very special. Uh, about that so yeah I see it as my role as a Scottish publisher to to nurture that mm. but you know wherever I I'm lucky enough to find it yeah absolutely um another thing I wanted to discuss was um I, I was reading a, an article in the bookseller a couple of months ago and it was talking about the the sort of benefits of children's books not just for children but for adults as well um do you think there are benefits of of reading books sort of um that are that are aimed towards children or, or young adults as an adult and are there ones that you've published that you specifically think would actually really suit older readers as well um huge benefits to to reading uh, you know literature for children and young adults it's such a shame that you know there is a, this perception well it's a children's book so it's for children it's a YA book therefore it's only for teens or or, or young adults and even within the education community um people can be a bit sniffy uh, about YA, you know, that it's yeah. not somehow not proper literature. And, and that's absolutely wrong, uh, especially when you see, you know, the high quality YA that, that's around. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just simply reading for pleasure. 
you know, a lot of these books are absolutely able to be studied um, in their own right as literature too. So that's a kind of thing, the first barrier for people. But what they should recognise is that you get more bang for your buck in a children's book than a YA book. Um, I think particularly in children's, because they come in a small package. Yeah. They're short, they're accessible, they don't take long to read, they're nice and quick. But in a way, they're much more fulfilling, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of, words used words spent time spent i think the reward is much greater i think they're they can be emotionally satisfying as well and because they're written for children they're page turners yeah you know they have to you know capture children's interest they have to keep children reading page after page so they're written in such a way that will keep you reading as well and will keep you flying through the book so you know, you ask if there's a specific book of Cranikins that I could recommend to adults. I have to say that all of our books mm-hmm. that I take on, I read I read them first of all as a reader. So I have read and enjoyed as a reader mm-hmm. all of our books. Yeah. Um, so I have to, you know, they have to fulfill me emotionally. They have to fulfill me as a reader as well. So absolutely any of our books are taken on on that, on that premise that an adult would enjoy them too. And often particularly with our historical titles, adults will say, I learned such a lot reading that book. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, the, the happy byproducts, if you like, of what we try to do with Cranican books. You'll have a fabulous story and a page turner, but you'll also, in a very gentle way, be learning about something you didn't know yeah before. yeah absolutely because it's written in a way that's accessible so you don't feel sort of put off by you know dry writing that you might find in a sort of a, you know historical tome for for adults so yeah and um absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> I think there's sometimes that you know misconception that writing for children is in, is in some way it's easier to write which is so not true actually that's such a skill to write you know to write in a way that is engaging and accessible for children and it's not in any way sort of lesser um so yeah I really do wish you know more people were were open to to reading more books for for children and for young adults um because there's there's such a big you know wealth there to be explored Hmm. no they're definitely missing out if they're not reading it and I would say um you know, to 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 bring a full-bodied story in, you know, a full plot, and, you know, beginning, middle, and end, and end it satisfyingly, you know, under forty thousand words, that that is a real challenge. You yeah. Know? Um. So I I would say that it's definitely harder um to, to write for children than it's for adults. You can't have pages of waffle or nothing or you know yeah. as you would in an adult book. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's got to keep your readers engaged at all times mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um it's changing tack slightly i wanted to talk a bit about uh, how the last couple of years uh, obviously throughout you know the pandemic has has impacted uh, Kronakin as a publisher it, you were saying at the beginning it sounds like you've had actually quite a, a good last year um but could you talk a little bit about you know what impacts um you know lockdown and, and the pandemic has had on the business and what sort of changes you've had to make Uh, well, obviously, it's quite a scary time as a um, as a small publisher, um, you know, as a as a relative newcomer, to see your sales kind of literally for as a small publisher drop off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was you know, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Um, you know, we had six books coming out that year, mm-hmm. 
And you're thinking, well, what do we do for our authors? Do we postpone? A lot of the bigger publishers were postponing publications yeah. the following year. But we mm. spoke to um, all of our authors and we actually decided, do you know what? People need books more yeah. <laughs> now than they ever did. Uh-huh. Um, so let, let's just stick to our plan. Let's keep doing what we're doing and we'll, we'll see what happens. And actually, we had a really good 2020 as well. Um, despite the lockdown, despite the limitations of bookshops being closed, Yes, we had to find different ways of working. We, you know, like everybody else, we went online. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we offer on our website for direct sales, free postage and packaging. We've always done yeah. that so that we can kind of compete in some way with uh, online retailers, uh, for example. But we started offering things like uh, matching bookmarks and postcards. Uh, we started offering gift wrapping as well. So really just trying to push um, that offer even further. One of the biggest challenges for our authors was the fact that they could no longer go into schools and do events because that's a huge part of what we do, what our authors do, and also where they make a living, you know, through the school visits. So something that we did do um, was we, schools were able to contact us directly and we would then license them a special copy of an ebook mm-hmm. that they could buy, for example, a class set. In some cases, we had a whole school set. I think somebody bought 200 copies wow. of Wilderness Wars mm-hmm. for, for a project so, so that children could access them at home on devices. Um, so, you know, that was a very different uh, way of working, something that, you know, a bigger publisher wouldn't or couldn't do. You know, once you put that out there, essentially anybody... Um, you know could get a copy mm-hmm. of that but we decided you know we need to keep the books coming for our teachers for our readers so that was a a good way around it um for us yeah yeah it seems like Have the... sorry go ahead no, i was going to say that you know everyone knows that in lockdown people were reading more mm. but with my teacher hat on those those um reading gains haven't really been sustained i would say you know now we're already back to normal back to it's while book sales are still good our children on a daily basis reading for pleasure um i don't know that that's still there you know you can look at something like um what kids are reading report from renaissance learning uh, Mm -hmm. for 2022 and the number of children enjoying reading is up slightly you're looking at just over 51 percent of children say they enjoy reading mm-hmm. uh, but daily reading isn't near the levels that we were in lockdown that hasn't been sustained right okay um but just a wee bit a wee bit sad but it's obviously because people are back at school they don't have the time they did mm-hmm. but you would really hope that people would be carving time yeah. you know out of their lives to to maintain that habit that would be that would be my hope yeah absolutely um did you notice uh, sort of, you know, over the, the pandemic period that people's kind of, you know, reading habits, I mean, you were saying that people were buying books more, but were they, did you feel that they were they were buying sort of different types of books? Um, did it kind of change in that way? Um, I only really know this from sort of industry webinars that I've attended. It's not something, you know, I can't see trends personally through Cranic and sales ourselves. Yeah. But yes, you can see, you know, a lot of the nonfiction, a lot of cookery books, a lot of people thinking about um, self-care. 
um, in terms of children's books though what you tended to find was people were going with more known authors known books bigger titles rather than discovering new titles yeah. so that makes the landscape um difficult for you know um well anyone who's not a massive publisher <laughs> essentially including us of course uh-huh. yeah and it's um children's publishing is is quite unique in the sense that when you're marketing books you're often not marketing them at the readers themselves but they're you know parents teachers caregivers and that must well it, it just seems like quite a different way of of kind of promoting the books um could you talk a little bit about sort of how you know what challenges that creates and how you go about um promoting the books that you publish it does sound like a challenge um but actually in some ways to me it's more natural um i am a former primary teacher um i still have a day job um i work as um, a literacy consultant in scotland so i'm in direct contact with schools and teachers and do training uh, with them so if you like i have a direct line straight into my audience straight straight into the classroom so it means i know the sorts of things that teachers need for the classroom, the sort of books they want, the types of topics they're studying, and the types of books they already have, you know, and where, you know, we can go next. So, for example, um, our best-selling book, um, The Titanic Detective Agency by Lindsay Littleson. Lindsay is also a a former primary teacher, Mm. but we both knew that um, one of the most studied topics uh, in Scottish schools is uh, Titanic so and there was no um, book with a Scottish perspective so quite often I'll have a look and think well you know what are we missing you know if you're studying Victorians are you reading Street Child mm-hmm. uh, by Berly Doherty in the classroom where's the Scottish voice where's the Scottish perspective where's Victorian Scotland so that helps us look for gaps and you know where we need a Scottish voice and where we need a Scottish book so in some ways it's not a challenge Mm. for marketing I have that direct line in to what teachers want to what teachers need and um, time and space to talk to them about books um, as well because the training is literacy based so that's a huge um, advantage uh, for us Um, that direct relationship with our readers obviously is more difficult for us to have as a publisher directly with our readers but that is coming through our authors and their author visits and their author events and so on where they're they're connecting directly with our young readers which is hugely important Mm -hmm. and uh, you did talk about author visits a little bit earlier but um, you know that that sounds like it's something that's so crucial to to the, the business you know and you know encouraging kids to to engage with the books is that something that you've always done you know uh, at Cranachan is 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 uh, do these author visits yes definitely so even you know they're absolutely crucial so if it's a launch uh, for a children's book we would always do um, an evening launch mm. uh, almost for the author and for the adults yeah. to have your you know the celebration for you and what you've done and launched the book and everything but we would also have another launch which would also be in a school Mm -hmm. setting so that you're launching it with your actual readers with the people who are going to read it and I think um you know as a teacher you, you you can never overstate 
the impact of an author visit. It's something that keeps on giving. It's something that's incredibly exciting when you're a child in the mm -hmm. classroom. But even as a teacher, when I was in the classroom, when we had author visits, I would be motivated by the visit yeah, <laughs> as well. So it's, it's, it's good for everybody. Um, and I think, again, it gives us that way. And we resonate then more with the story, more with the book, more with the author, because we hear about the background, why they've written it, what they wanted to get across. You know, if children are actually able to discuss directly with the author, ask their questions about the book, what could be more motivating than that? Um, and it, it then gives the book a special place for you mm -hmm. because you know so much more about it and you've engaged with the author um, directly. Also, from a, a business perspective, it's important for our authors too. If everybody knows it's in, in, almost impossible, unless you're with a massive publisher, to um, live from writing, yeah. to make a living mm -hmm. as a working writer. But school visits, that's one way that makes it, uh, it brings it more within reach Yeah. Um, for authors if they're doing those sorts of visits and they're being paid um, by schools or by Scottish Book Trust funding. Mm -hmm. it, it starts to make it a bit more doable. Yeah, absolutely. And it must be so nice for the authors to get that direct sort of feedback and response to their writing from, from children. And children are, you know, are often very honest and very forthcoming with their opinions in a way that I think sometimes adults <laughs> can be a bit reticent at a book event to actually say what they think. So um, it must just be really gratifying for the authors and also for you to kind of see that, you're, that what you're publishing is, is working and, and that readers are, are really enjoying it, enjoying it and engaging with it. There's nothing nicer than seeing um, photos or even video footage of our books being used in the yeah. classroom, actually in the hands of young readers. That's, it, when you see that, it just it's a nice, timely reminder always of this is what we're doing it for. You know, as a publisher, I can be very lost in the day-to-day the -day business uh, of just running a publishing company. But those lovely snippets, when they happen, it's a reminder of this is why we're doing mm -hmm. what we do. It's for these young readers. And our authors as well will tell you that's their favourite bit, yeah. is mm -hmm. the visits. <laughs> it's going out into schools, having those discussions with the children, sharing it with children. And I think that's because even as a primary teacher, my favourite part of the day was when the teacher would read to the class. You know, when I was yeah. in school, when I was a teacher, my favourite part of the day was me reading to my mm -hmm. class. There's really something about that um, sharing of a story and of a book together all at the same time yeah. that's really rather special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, it really is. Um, and I wanted to talk as well about, um, you know, children's publishing is also quite interesting because often children's books have you know are, are illustrated so there's a kind of collaborative process there between an author and an illustrator um could you kind of discuss a little bit about how that kind of creative process works well we have only worked a few times with illustrators mm -hmm. our covers tend to be created in-house by myself oh. which means they're limited in their scope and, and what we can do because I'm doing them. But so when we do get to work with an illustrator, it's um, just such a huge treat 
because you're working with a professional. <laughs> they are bringing, um, you know, their creative perspective, their professionalism, their point of view to the work. So, for example, uh, we worked with Darren Gate on the Stay at Home book. Uh, that was the book of lockdown poems and stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, his vision when he, you know, we didn't really know, we didn't have a brief, we didn't really know what we wanted for the cover, but Darren already had a vision that he described to us, mm-hmm. uh, which was was absolutely perfect, which essentially was a block of flats, and you could see all of the different families behind the windows, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and their experience of lockdown, and some people were uh, throwing toilet rolls to other <laughs> windows and things, people were bashing pots and pans at some windows. Mm-hmm. Um, we also worked with Elise Carmichael on Hagstorm by Victoria Williamson. Mm-hmm. And now Elise was working with us while she was studying. And um, so she was actually our intern, mm-hmm. but she um, designed the cover. She illustrated the cover for Hagstorm. Oh, wow. And that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful for us. And it was fascinating to work with her. We obviously had a brief. For me, what was lovely was there were no limits. I'm not limited my, by my own capabilities in doing the cover. We can have whatever we actually want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and we can describe what we thought. What about this? What if we have a horse? What if we have, could we be looking through the hag stone in a circle? And Elise came back with, I think it was almost 20 designs. <laughs> wow. Um, and it was impossible to choose. Um, we managed to whittle it down to a few. Then we had three different colour schemes to choose from. Um, it was just it, utterly, you were spoiled for choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was such a, a wonderful process. And as a small publisher, margins are so tight. It's a decision that we made, although I would absolutely love to work with illustrators because I enjoy the process so much. We get so much out of it. Mm-hmm. We get better covers out of it as well, but it's something we 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 just can't afford, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's I, d- I certainly wouldn't have known that you didn't use an illustrator for most of the covers. Looking through the websites, they're so they're so <laughs> varied and they look brilliant. So <laughs> it's definitely not obvious. <laughs> well, that's that's reassuring as well. I'm learning. I've been learning as I go. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask a bit about as well when I was looking through the website. You have um reflective reading classroom packs um, for for some of your sort of newest titles. Could you talk a bit about what they are? Um, Well, reflective reading is, it's a methodology. It's a way of working with novels and using them for comprehension purposes um, in the classroom. I actually personally wrote the methodology. I wrote the book, Reflective Reading. That's part of my day job. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's basically you would read a book and then you would design all of the tasks, all of the activities, all of the questions for the children, but they would also have a choice. Mm-hmm. So they're presented in a kind of grid format. So children can choose which questions they're going to tackle and attempt. And they're also based on different um, higher order thinking skills to link in with curriculum for excellence in Scotland. Mm-hmm. So they might choose a reflect and respond question, or they might choose a create something great question, which is a more creative approach. So there are various um, headings um, and children are able to choose. So there's an, an element of personalization and choice, mm-hmm. 
that what crucial are these reflective reading packs and why we do them for free is it gives the teachers the grids they need they're all they're done for you yeah the teachers are so pressed for time yeah and it means that look here are the resources they're already done for you um and they're free and we do that because well yes we want to help teachers but also we hope that it will drive teachers towards using some of these scottish texts these scottish perspective texts on topics that they might traditionally use you know books that's set in london mm-hmm. you know like street child as i mentioned earlier yeah. we hope that it's enough to to nudge teachers away from um you know texts that have been in the cupboard for 20 years that when they might have said okay time for a refresh that there's a reason for them to choose um a Kranikin book mm-hmm. uh, as well yeah and I can imagine that's one of the things that that um you know it's, it's hugely helpful that you've got this background in teaching you understand what what teachers needs are and what and how pressed for time they are and I'm sure that makes them kind of hugely appreciative that you've got these kind of ready-made resources that just help make their life so much easier it is it's, it is so much easier and it, it can be hard mm. to um you know i can remember in the classroom um especially if you've got several novels on the go in your classroom that can be the case you're not having to read one novel but three novels and then you're having to make up tasks questions or activities for them all it's hugely yeah. challenging yeah um you know sometimes even myself as a reader, I wasn't keeping up with the reading, you know, <laughs> I'd be like, I'd have my book open, I'd be writing the questions on the board at the time. So this is, uh, you know, I know it's it saved te- teachers so much time, but it also helps them get under the skin of the text, mm-hmm. which is really important that we're not doing just surface activities or generic surface questions, that they're actually getting into the guts of the text and what the author was trying to do and having the discussions that the author hoped you would have Mm -hmm. um, and talking about the language and the author's writing Um, so that's why as well although um, a lot of what we do in middle grade it sits really at the very top end you know a lot of our books are um, can be quite challenging in terms of vocabulary and that very deliberate Mm -hmm. Um, we want to improve children's vocabulary so that's again with my you know, teacher hat on. We don't want to dumb things down. We want you to learn as you go, but learn through the medium of, of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, of course, it's it's the summer holidays just now. Um, it, do you find that that's actually a less busy time for Kranachan or, or is it busier because, you know, kids are not at school and they're reading more? How do you, how do you find that? It, it's a it's a different busy mm. and the summer is obviously uh, quieter because children are on, ho- on holiday yeah. we're not doing school visits we're not launching any books in the summer because of that but it allows us to focus inwardly yeah. on getting everything else ready so for example this summer um i've had a huge task of doing the line edits of the spear of truth mm. by caroline logan and that's the fourth and final book uh, in the four treasures series so that's a ya uh, mythic fantasy series wow. um also with lots of romance in it and um you know based on kind of scottish mythical setting but the line edit for that is 120,000 words wow. that's been a huge yeah. huge job um then the typesetting for that's been another quite big job so we're now in the mm-hmm. final stages of finalizing the cover 
um, we'll do a final proofread, we'll make any final changes, and then that will be sent to print um, probably next week, and then that comes out at the beginning of October. At the same time, I'm focusing on making sure I've got all my ducks in a row for next year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're behind the scenes preparing uh, our advanced information sheets, our blurbs. Um, I have, we've got four titles coming out next year and I've got covers already for three of them. Mm -hmm. wow. So next time I'm very prepared. Covers. So you, ha you have to be so prepared, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, have, you know, have everything ready um, to go. I'm trying to, although we're a small publisher, I'm trying to stick to schedules in the same way that yeah. a big, bigger publisher would, because we're yeah. still having to keep to the same um, sales schedules, if you like. So yeah. it doesn't matter that you're smaller, you, you still have to get your title information in on time, um, you know, for sales purposes as well. So I'm, yeah. I'm trying to be as on top of things as I can. <laughs> Yeah, well, it sounds like very on top of things. That's, that's brilliant. Um, so we're, we're nearly out of time, actually, but um, just wanted to ask kind of as a final question, and you've touched on this a little bit already, but are there any specific book, upcoming books or books that have just been published that you specifically want to tell us about um, for our SYP members who might want to check them out? Well, I will give you one. It's not actually been officially announced yet, mm. but I will tell you about this one because... Well, I'm so excited about next year. It's very hard to pick because we've got four fantastic books coming yeah. out. The, the lineup for next year is, is, is fabulous. But I'll give you this one. It's by Barbara Henderson. So it's coming out in February. And that's the reason I chose it. because it's our next new mm -hmm. book that's coming out um, for middle grade readers. It's called Rivet Boy. Yeah. And it's the story of John Nicholl. It's based on real events, it's based on things that actually happened. And it's um, John Nicholl's role in the building of the Force Rail Bridge, which is obviously Scotland's greatest man-made wonder. Mm -hmm. So this is set in Victorian times in 1889. And after uh, John's father dies, um, sadly, he then becomes the breadwinner of the family to support his family. And he's basically sent to work uh, at the, the fourth bridge. So building this bridge in Victorian times. But there's one snag, he's terrified of heights. <laughs> That's um, so he, he is learning to work in this very dangerous circumstances, actually. Um, and several boys actually fell to their deaths uh, into the fourth river below. Mm. So um, John is aware of that. Uh, he takes solace, though, in reading, mm -hmm. and he finds a friend in the librarian in the library. And the library is actually the first um, Carnegie library that was opened in Scotland. So it's the book follows not just the building of the Fourth Bridge, but also this um, Carnegie library uh, and that, that first library and John's experience of books. So it's a lovely contrast of... Uh, the noise, the danger of the bridge, um, and then the, the quiet solitude um, and solace he finds in books and finds in the library. So it uh, ticks, ticks all of my boxes. It even has a wee um, animal companion, a squirrel <laughs> called Rusty. Oh, I'm sold. <laughs> uh, who we, <laughs> there we go. I mean, it's got everything. It really has everything. Yeah. And Rusty, although although we don't we made up the name Rusty or Barbara made up the name Rusty, it is based on a real life squirrel that would visit the men 
uh, working on the bridge. So, oh, that sounds absolutely fascinating. So that, that's one to look out for. <laughs> that's great. Oh, thank you so much. Well, that's that's all we've got time for, unfortunately. I could have asked you a million more questions, but um, but but thank you so much for, for joining us on the SYP podcast and for such an interesting discussion. Oh, thank you so much, Catherine. It's always lovely to chat in detail about our books and, and what we're doing. So thank you so much for the opportunity. for listening to Inside Publishing. I've been your host, Catherine Halding. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more via Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time.